it wasn't that I didn't like the ICU as far as the critical care knowledge. I love the pathophysiology, the pharmacology. I just didn't, couldn't cope with the death. And I, you know, I was young and a lot of ICU nurses are young too. You were relatively new adults, <laughs> speaking from an old lady now, but I mean, you are just coming out of being a child and you're now trying to cope with Ooh, death. I gotta go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day. Now my fan, they can't eat. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As nurses, we know your mental health matters. It's important to prioritize yourself. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. Just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences, then BetterHelp will match you with the right therapist. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash cup of nurses. As a nursing student or nurse, you know how important it is to have the right resources to help you succeed. That's why we invite you to check out our nursing resource page, where you can find freebies like our cheat sheets, travel checklists, favorite Amazon products, and more. In addition, you can purchase our merch and NCLEX guide. Don't miss out on these valuable tools to help you excel in your nursing career. Visit cupofnurses.com today. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses show here with your hosts, Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world one conversation at a time. Thank you everyone for listening. If you find value in the show, please share and review the show. It would mean absolutely everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for the latest updates, merch releases, and what we're up to. For our lifestyle podcast, you can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. In this episode, we would like to introduce you to Jenny Fennell. Jenny is a CRNA with experience in the MICU, adult open heart, and pediatrics. She spends most of her time mentoring and looking for ways to build community and resources for our nurses. Jenny launched Nurses Teach Nurses in August 2022, a mentorship marketplace for nurses by nurses. Empowering nurses to share knowledge, promote personal growth, and create a culture of support. She's also the creator of CRNA School Prep Academy, which helps people get into CRNA school and succeed on the job. We talk about the life of a CRNA, what it takes to become one, and overcoming self-doubt in school and on the field. Thank you, Jenny, for being here. Thank you so much for your time. Can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself, about your nursing experience, and why you decided to go into becoming a CRNA? Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Jenny Fennell, um, CRNA of nine years, but a nurse of 14 years, started in the medical ICU. And really from early on in my nursing journey, I knew I loved pathophysiology, pharmacology. And while those subjects were not easy for me, I just enjoyed them. And so I started, started job shadowing and I gravitated to the operating room and kind of more of a background. When I was a child, I used to watch Discovery Health and used to be obsessed with like surgery, which is kind of creepy, but I used to enjoy that. I used to think it was really cool that you could be asleep and like not feel someone operate on you. Um, but that was just as a child. And I didn't really know what a CRNA was until I got into nursing school 
And so I started navigating that path and I realized like, wow, this might fulfill my nerdiness desire to really dive into pharmacology, pathophysiology. And that kind of led me into becoming an ICU nurse, which um, we'll get into more, but um, yeah, and here I am today. And I'm, I was that student who didn't believe in myself. I doubted myself. I struggled um, in school and I love paying it forward by giving back to fellow nurses who want to pursue this career path as well. It's amazing. I wanted to ask you about the relationship you have between doctors when it comes to you working as a bedside nurse versus now transitioning to the OR. Is your relationship different with the doctors and how? Yeah, it's, it's different. It's actually a lot more intimate. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but that's what came out of my mouth. Um, but it's, it's intimate, more intimate in a way that you, it's a very collaborative effort in a way that it's um, more autonomy, meaning you have more independence. You don't necessarily have to ask permission um, or even collaborate. Obviously you have a skill set and the knowledge to make decisions. Um, now, obviously there's trust involved with that, right? And um, don't get me wrong, it is collaborative, but you essentially pick and choose what you need um, for the patient and you collaborate when you feel you need to. But um, I, I remember as a nurse, you know, obviously doing rounds and, and asking questions and bringing things to light, but I feel like I was really pretty dependent on that one time during the day to get my questions answered and to make decisions. Where as a CRNA throughout my entire shift, it's, it's very fluid in nature. There could be days where I see the attending um, just maybe in the window while I'm pushing drugs and they're there intubate, go to sleep. And then I don't see him again until maybe the next case or, um, you know, maybe in pre-op, but it, it's for the most part, you run your own rooms, you run your own day. Um, there, there are days where you are very heavily involved with the um, assistant anesthesiologist. Um, like I did open heart for four and a half years. And so, you know, during certain key moments of an open heart case, they're in the room coming off pump and things like that. So you work very closely and sometimes it's all hands on deck uh, where you really need um, all the hands, but yeah, it's, it's different in that aspect. I'm glad you brought up open hearts. Can you explain what goes on, like the open heart surgery, like the environment? Because that's a lot of people, when they hear open hearts, they think of like the most serious surgery you could have is like an open heart heart surgery. So can you give us a little right. bit of detail about like- oh, what, it's the coolest. Yeah, it's the coolest too, yeah. Because I got I got luxury of seeing an LVAD <laughs> placement um, when I was doing cool. um, my ICU, like onboarding for when I first became a nurse, I got to see um, an LVAD placement and then I got to see an elevated heart getting taken out and a new heart being being put in. So can you kind of tell us about a little bit of an environment and, and is it really as intense or is it more of just like a patience thing and it's kind of like things are moving slowly? How does the environment look? Yeah, um, I would say probably depending on your what you thrive, the kind of environment you really enjoy being in, it can be intense. Um, but other times, I mean, obviously the, when you're brand new, it can probably feel, feel very intense and kind of foreign, but I loved it because you had a built-in break when you're on pump for the most part. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like a break checkout, but it was, you got a built-in built break in your case where the perfusionist now was on, you know, doing, doing the perfusion while you kind of just make sure you maintain anesthetic plane and prepared come, for coming off pump. So I like that part about open heart cases. I really like the connection you had with the team with, um, you know, between the PAs, um, the car thoracic, cardiothoracic surgeon, um, the OR nurses, um, the attending doing the, the echo and, and they're, you know, kind of doing, um, like learning about the different processes of disease processes of the failing heart and all the different drugs you get to push and mix, uh, you know, milrinone and levofed and epi and vasopressin and doing all your own mixing and kind of delivering the perfect little cocktail to get their systolic right at 90 for um, cannulation. Like that was always my challenge. Can I get it exactly to 90 for cannulation and hold it there right at that one point 
you know, cause obviously if they cannulate and the pressure is too high, you can cause the aorta to, you know, blow up. <laughs> no, just kidding. But really it can cause a lot of damage. So vitals and titrating vitals is really, really key and fluid management, um, coagulopathies that you can develop from being on pump. So there's a lot of, um, like science behind open heart, which is why I really liked it. So it can be intimidating, but I think if you thrive in an environment where you're always thinking through um, what you're doing and what is next, I think you actually will find that you really will enjoy it. And um, it's challenging in a, in a way that's rewarding. But yeah, there are some open, open heart cases that were pretty straightforward, pretty quick. Then there are ones that were pretty intense. And sometimes where I used to work, they'd have like an entire team um, of surgeons learning the case, right. Because we're doing a a type of procedure that was very rarely done and they were being video recorded and, and how I'm like, am I on camera? This is kind of awkward. I don't know who's going to be watching this, but yeah. So there, it just depend. It really depended on the patient. Uh, We had patients who during induction coded, um, because they couldn't tolerate the induction and, or they had significant pulmonary hypertension. And if you let their end tidal CO2 climb, I mean, there's a lot of uh, pathophysiology that goes into heart failure. So understanding those key components when you're doing your induction of anesthesia. And um, the other aspect of open heart is you get to do a lot of central lines, a lines, big bore IVs, like 14 gauges and double lumen tubes for like um, minimally invasive procedures. And that's just, it's just fun. I I don't know. It was a lot of, um, a lot of different skills in one case. So as a CRNA, you just listed a bunch of responsibilities because a lot of times when people hear the word anesthesia or CRNA or anesthesiologist, they just think of putting patients to sleep for surgery and keeping them keeping them asleep so they don't wake up. But then you mentioned you focus on the vitals, pressure. So what is are like your responsibilities as a CRNA besides like having somebody sedated and not waking up during the whole procedure? Right, right. Well, obviously, I think a big thing that people don't realize that we do is we relieve anxiety. And that actually starts when the patient's awake, <laughs> meaning uh, meeting them in pre-op, answering their questions. We're that friendly, smiling face. And we used to reassure them that they're going to be watched the whole time if they're afraid of being awake when, you know, being under anesthesia and remembering having recall and things like that. We essentially assure them that that's not going to happen and explain to them why that is and what we do to kind of prevent that. Uh, but you're also that, that last person they see before they drift off to sleep. You're that first person they see when they wake up. And that's a big responsibility and something that's equally very rewarding. Um, also a successful wake up is kind of really truly the art of anesthesia is to take someone with a, a lot of comorbidities, get them through a very stressful case and allow them to not have to remain intubated and be able to go to recovery and, and, and recover there. Um, that can be really challenging. The art of, you know, what drugs are good for this patient and maybe kind of mixing, you know, um, you know, Presidex with ketamine, um, so to avoid more fentanyl and things like that, um, using regional skills like tap blocks or, um, like, a different types of regional techniques to avoid narcotics. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot more to just keeping them asleep. It's about what's the overall plan of care for them, not only before, during, and after. And so that way you're setting the patient up for success all the way through the recovery phase. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of pre-planning that goes into it. Some cases are pretty straightforward and run of the mill, I would say, you know, outpatient surgery. Um, but you never know, even outpatient surgery, something can happen. They might nick something, right? Um, one of the first cases I did as a new CRNA was a um, interior um, spinal fusion and they nicked the vertebral artery. And as you can imagine, that's straight from your brain. And so I was like, you know, thinking this patient's not going to wake up, like they're going to stroke. And so it became very, what would have been a straightforward case to an emergent case, stop the bleeding, fluid resuscitate them. 
And obviously everything worked out okay. Um, but that was a lesson learned that, you know, that patient's hands were tucked. I didn't have good IV access. And so we were crawling under the drapes to start an IV in the foot as an emergent um, access, um, doing an EJ, things like that. So yeah, there's a lot to learn. And um, the moral of that story was don't take that extra five minutes to start a second IV if your arms are tucked. <laughs> Jeez, sounds completely different from bedside. And I'm just wondering, how is your day-to-day -day as a CRNA? Do you come to the OR, make a fresh cup of coffee, look at the board, and now you know your assignment or the cases that you're going to have? And then on top of that, what cases do you prefer? Do you prefer shorter cases, longer cases? How do you like to have a, an ideal schedule as a CRNA? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a big uh, cold brew snob. So um, work coffee does not cut it for me. Uh, <laughs> but I usually bring my coffee in. And, and, you know, and this could be personality type, but I am, I'm, I would say I'm an introverted extrovert, meaning I'm, I'm probably mostly shy around people that I don't necessarily know very well, but I'm very open with people that I get to know on a more intimate level. Um, but that being said, I'm not somebody really, I, I kind of like to get to work, know, research my patient, know what I need to do, touch base with the attending if necessary, and really just kind of hang out and wait for the patient either to come to the OR, go get the patient. Um, that's, that's always been me. I've never been somebody who wants to sit in the break room or chit chat. Um, I don't know. I, I just, but some people, do. some people kind of use that social as social time first thing in the morning and chit chat. But yeah, you get to work to work right around 645. You're in the OR by seven. Your first case typically comes back at 730. As far as types of cases length, it just depends. I like variety. I've always been a big fan of variety. Um, right now I do pediatric anesthesia because I love babies. I'm in a phase of my life where if I can snuggle a stranger's baby, even for like five minutes, <laughs> I'm like in heaven. <laughs> so um, I love the babies, chunkier the better. And um, so that's what I do right now. Um, but yeah, doing like a long case versus a short, really quick, like a tonsil room, which is really usually pretty short, quick turnover. Those can be challenging. I would not want to do those every day. Um, so every now and then it's kind of nice to have a craniotomy where you're just sitting there for most of the time and just kind of maintaining train track vitals. Uh, so it just, the variety is nice. And I've, I like my favorite cases, obviously I love open heart. I love pediatrics. I have a love hate relationship with OB, but I have done a lot of OB in the past when I was a 24 hour CRNA. And, um, I like thoracic, I like vascular. Um, I did, I did some outpatient surgery and did a lot of peripheral nerve blocks and I like peripheral nerve blocks. I was not a fan of a surgery center though. That was not my cup of tea. So yeah, just, I think about, it's about exploring what you like and trying to figure that out. And you've mentioned uh, working in peds and with babies. How does, is there a big difference between doing like the responsibility for a CRNA with adults versus children? Is there something they have to pay attention more or is it just the medication is those differently is there different maybe complication you have to look out for how does the how does adults and children differ yeah no they do differ uh, the physiology is different um so that's a nerdy fact that i love but yeah medications obviously are all weight-based dosing uh fluid management's different babies are are, are big bags of water <laughs> compared to older adults they're all dried up and, and shriveled up like raisins right so um, there's definitely a different physiology. So you, there's different management. Also, a lot of times you have to do inhalation induction versus IV induction, because let's face it, a nine month old's not going to necessarily hold still very well to start an IV. So typically you're doing mask induction. And um, so you're dealing with what we call stage two, which in an older teenager can be very um, kind of not violent is the word, but just very like, I mean, you're, they're very muscular. So it's kind of an agitation state 
where you kind of breathe and heave off the table a little bit and it can look kind of violent, but it's just the natural process of the anesthetic coming on board. Um, little tiny babies don't experience that as much, but you do get to the tachycardia and different like um, vasodilatation from um, the gas kind of causing vasodilatation. So yeah, there's different processes involved and um, kids are not just little adults. They are truly like their own unique little beings. Um, ventilation's different. And, you know, so there are, I, I would say in pediatrics, one of the biggest things is don't get me wrong. You're still vigilant with adults, but peds, a small little mistake and medications is a, is a big deal where an adult, obviously you have a lot more leeway with medication. So medication and, and, and fluid management is, has to be, it's like, it's almost like baking versus cooking. When you bake, you have to be very precise. When you cook, you can say oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know? So that's kind of how I see the difference between being a baker is being a pediatric CRNA and being a cooker <laughs> is uh, or chef cooker is a uh, adult CRNA. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I kind of want to time travel back to before you were a CRNA, when, when you're in the ICU, how was it getting into CRNA school? Is there something you had to overcome as far as like your own self-limiting beliefs, maybe things they had to work on your resume experience. Mm -hmm. Is there specific students that are good for CRNA that maybe schools gravitate towards? What can, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's actually, you know, that was when I first started mentoring students and I was like, oh, okay, I, I can help. And then I realized, whoa, Jenny, you need to learn a lot more before you can help everyone because it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to zoom out before you zoom in. And I see a lot of people try for CRNA, get tunnel vision, and they focus maybe on one or two schools. They kind of blanketly apply those rules to all schools. And it's just, there's little nuances. There are a lot of similarities, but a lot of nuances. And so I saw a lot of nurses get stuck with that. And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to get in the weeds with them. I need to figure this out. I need to pull on my resources, the faculty I know, and really try to get the community involved. Um, I've always known I want to be about community because I really think we all have a large part to play in mentorship. Um, but as far as it being any particular type of ICU nurse, really the biggest thing is having the passion, the desire to be, to persevere through the hard times and knowing that this is a long game. This is not an overnight success. Um, most people who are successful on this journey have been at it for years. And so really it's being about like planning as far in advance as you can and not being afraid to invest in yourself to find better resources if you don't have access to them already. Are you looking for a fitness tracker to help you reach your fitness goals? Look no further. Whoop 4.0 is the ultimate fitness tracker, helping you optimize your workouts and recover faster. With personalized insights and metrics, you can track your progress and make sure you're getting the most out of your training. Simply sign up using our link and you'll receive a free Whoop 4.0 and a month on us. So why wait? Team up with a community of nurses and take your fitness journey to the next level. What's up listeners? Did you have a long shift at work or a hard workout? Feeling dehydrated? No worries. We've got you covered with Liquid IV. Liquid IV is a perfect solution for those wanting to stay hydrated without consuming all the extra sugar and artificial ingredients in sport drinks. It's a hydration multiplier that provides two to three times more hydration than water alone. And guess what? As our listener, you can use the code CONPOD, C-O-N-P-O-D, to receive 15% off your order and free shipping. And then I know in the beginning of the show, you mentioned you had to overcome like your confidence or you had a lot of doubt. What part of oh. your nursing journey did you experience that? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's hard when I was a child. Um, it's funny. A lot of things you bring into your own adult life. It's usually if you think about it, if you really reflect on it. A lot of times it, it stems from your childhood. Um, I need speech therapy, IQ testing. 
I was always held back, um, flunked the first grade. I mean, I had a lot of issues as a child and I think I developed this complex where I just really didn't think I was capable or I wasn't smart. My brain was different. Um, I watched my sister get straight A's pretty much effortlessly. <laughs> I was like, I work really hard and I barely get C's. So I, I just thought from a young age, I was different and I didn't get into nursing school the first time I applied. Um, I got rocked um, my freshman year in college, um, organic chemistry. Thank you very much. And I just, I knew CRNA was interesting, but I didn't believe that I could do it. I thought I was dumb. I, I thought I wasn't smart. And it took me years to silence that voice. And um, I was kind of pushed up against a wall when I um, got, when I got rejected from nursing school. <laughs> Funny, I was for home with my parents and go to a community college or state Ohio state where I met the love of my life. who's now my husband and, and, and try to figure out how to get straight A's for the first time in my life. And I chose to try to get straight A's for the first time in my life. And I'm like, I don't care what it takes. I will do whatever it takes. I will, I will not sleep. I will just figure this out. I tried, I Googled every study technique. This is back in like 2006, right? 2005, 2005, a long time ago, not dating myself, but yeah, I tried every study technique I could find on Google. I listened to things in my sleep. I got obsessive over my grades, which may or may not have been healthy, but I, I did try to figure it out what works for me. And I did find out in high school that I was dyslexic, um, like not severely, but significant enough to where it hindered my comprehension with learning and affected me with math. Right. So I knew I had that issue. Um, I really tried to focus on how techniques to kind of come around that and through just exploring and, and, and improvising and going to every office hour, every study session, obsessing over grades. Um, I got straight A's for the first time and got into nursing and I never struggled after that. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy, but I, I just figured it out. And I truly believe everyone can. I just think it was like this light bulb went off in my brain that I'm like, just quiet that voice and figure it out. Jenny, like, just do it. Just do the work, just do the work. You can do it. Don't stop doubting yourself. And I guess I really love to uh, bring that to other nurses. I think, I think everyone needs a cheerleader in life. <laughs> and, and that cheerleader, was it yourself? Was it your husband, which is the love of your life now? Or did you have a mentor along the way somewhere that helped you through this transition? Yeah. You know, I think I had a lot of mentors. I not in a way that probably was apparent at the time, but it really wasn't a form of support, right? People in my life believed in me, even though I did not believe in myself. And that was powerful enough for me to, to shut that voice up and try and to stop not believing in myself. Cause everyone around me was like, no, Jenny, you can, you can, you can. And I'm like, okay, I will, I will. And, um, so I did have mentors now, not CRNA mentors, right. Um, until I got further along in my career and someone I knew in college actually got into CRNA school a couple years ahead of me. And she was very pivotal in my success. And so I'll never forget that we're colleagues. Now we get to work together. We actually work together at the surgery center and um, I'll never forget it. It really impacted me in a big way. And so when I did become a CRNA, I always knew that however I could, I'd give back. And I didn't know it would be in this light, creating CRNA school prep Academy, but I truly believe everyone needs a support system and it doesn't actually have to be another CRNA. It just has to be a peer group that is in line with your mission. I Meaning, surround yourself in early on in nursing school with other nurses who are on the same career path. I did that and I didn't know I did that right, but I did. And um, we all got into CRNA school together. We all became CRNAs and we're still friends to this day. I'm really glad Jane, that you brought up your whole struggle with education and and getting past that and finally putting the work in and getting to where you are today. I feel that's not the biggest thing. Like you could do anything you want, but the hardest part is always going to be starting. Because when yeah. you when you start when you're starting process, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to begin, you don't know what's gonna work for you. Is it gonna be flashcards that I'm gonna do? Am I gonna review PowerPoints and I'm gonna highlight my notes? Like what, what what do I do? Where do I start? That's like the hardest part. And once you figure it out, you get into a flow, then you're like, damn, okay, I I could I could do this. Like this is doable. The hardest part is just 
is is just to start, you know. And myself, I was never a, a good student either. I always say C's get degrees because I recently got my transcripts mm. from from school to look them over because I'm applying to different jobs. And I'm like, damn, do C's C's really do get degrees because you know I made it through here and I'm and you know I've been a nurse. I've been working in ICU for for these years now, and it's like education and schoolwork doesn't always work best as everybody. Sometimes you're gonna be, you're gonna be better at the hands-on stuff. Like I was I was always good at clinicals. My instructor always said that hey, you're good at clinicals. You're doing it. You're good at this. You're good at that. But I was never good at exams and about like the like like the actual theory stuff. But in clinical, somehow I was always figured out pieces together. So so that that's like a testament to saying that just because like you don't always get the get the A's, it doesn't mean you're not gonna be successful. And one thing is, majority of nurses aren't straight A students. They're usually B's and C's. You just compare yourself to the straight A student in the class because that's who you like you look forward to because that's the smartest person. So you always compare yourself with uh, I guess you could say the most you could say book smart person in that room and that kind of puts you down but the reality of things is most nurses get b's and c's and it's really good to have a good mentor too because when i was used to work uh, working in illinois uh, a nurse wanted to go into what i forgot it was np school or crna school but like she wanted to do this because she wanted to leave bedside and she was always saying that you know i barely passed nursing school there's no way i could i could get into crna school or i could become an np because i, I can't do do the do the school stuff but then i'm just like but then i asked her i'm like are, are you here now? Did you become a nurse? And she's like, yeah. Well, then I'm just like, what's holding you back from becoming a CRNA or, or an NP? It's the, literally the same process. You just have to just go with the motion and you'll figure figure it out along the way. Same way you became a nurse, you just figure it out. So that's mm-hmm. like the small differences of like having like a mentor. I wasn't her mentor, but just like generally just trying to help somebody. You're not really mentoring them, but just there's no reason for you to put somebody down. There's no reason for you to uh, say somebody can't do something because because anybody could really do what, what they wanted to do. So then now moving forward, what are some key things that maybe you took away from, from bedside that have helped you through CRNA school or through the whole CRNA process? Um, what I took away from bedside that really helped me or really just, I think the discipline was, was huge. And honestly, I did not like being an ICU nurse. Uh, I had to really <laughs> I had to really pull all my strength to get through that. Um, now I didn't, I can't even imagine what, I mean, I think most nurses are developed or have suffered from PTSD today, but back in my thing, H1N1 was a big thing, right? I saw girls my age who were pregnant dying um, in the ICU back in 2009. And I, it was a very depressing time in my life. Like I have never cried so much. I've never thought about death so much. Um, and I was like, man, and I questioned whether I could keep going and to pursue CRNA with that being what I had to do. And I think it was coming back to my why. And I know that sounds super fluffy and super corny, but it pulled me through CRNA school too. When I was like, when I was down in CRNA school, I look at that, I look at that. I framed the letter when I got accepted, I framed it and put it on my desk. And so when I'd have hard days, I would look at that letter sometimes in tears and just remind myself why I was there, why I was doing this and knowing that this was not every day of the rest of my life. This was just temporary pain um, to get the outcome I desire. And so I think the biggest takeaway from bedside to becoming a CRNA is to really pull on why you want to achieve something, whether that's becoming an NP, whether whatever specialty it is, understand why you want to do that. And when you think, you know, why you want to ask yourself why again, and keep playing that why game until you get down to the root core of what is giving you goosebumps and making you so passionate that you would walk through fire to get there, you know? So that's very powerful because a lot of us catch the train of motivation and think that's going to push us through like, you know, going on YouTube and typing in the motivational podcast, listening to it versus having 
genuine flow of motivation flowing from your why and the value that's keeping you inspired to keep going. So again, yeah, anybody that's doubting themselves or not knowing what to do, just look deep into your why and see why are you passionate about the thing. And that's where you're going to find the deep answers. It's not about listening to the podcast or audibles or needing to listen to this course. You already have all the answers within you. You has got to take some time and be silent and, and figure out what is it that you want to do. Love that. And then I, you, you mentioned something about IC wasn't for you. And I know it's a very a difficult mm-hmm. field, just like Peter and I, COVID, everything that happened, it just, again, PTSD, it affects your mental health. What was it that didn't sit with, with, right with you with bedside where you had to transition? Yeah. You know, I think it was the fact that if I had, I, I, most people become nurse because they want to help, right? They want to help people. That's always what people want to do. And when you're in the ICU and you're dealing with death every day, in my opinion, it's like being in a war zone every day, you were seeing death and you're feeling that empathy, that compassion, that sorrow, that grief along with the family. And over a period of time, after you keep experiencing that death, it really takes a toll on your soul. It really, the only way, in my opinion, to really get past it. And the nurses I saw were doing it for a very long period of time, built a shield and they kind of got cold and they weren't able to feel. And I started feeling like I was losing who I was. I didn't, um, emotions were hard to, it just, I felt very unattached to my emotion and my, my physical emotions. And I hated it. I hated every minute of it. And I mean, I got tested for like my thyroid. I got, I thought I was on, you know, I was probably the closest I've ever been to experiencing depression. And so it wasn't that I didn't like the ICU as far as the critical care knowledge. I love the pathophysiology, the pharmacology. I just didn't, couldn't cope with the death. And I, you know, I was young and a lot of ICU nurses are young too. You were relatively new adults <laughs> speaking from an old lady now, but I mean, you are just coming out of being a child and you're now trying to cope with death. And I think it's a lot for any human to take um, on a massive scale. And so I think maybe had I known what I know now, I think I would have tried to find better coping mechanisms for that grief and probably gotten therapy very early on um, and dealt with my anxiety. I let my anxiety build and start suffering from panic attacks and different things of that nature. And uh, obviously I've had to focus in on that now as an adult, but yeah, I think as a younger adult, I didn't have those skills developed and it really made it hard to get through those days. Yeah. Yeah. it's an interesting concept. Remember how we were talking about Starbucks a couple of days ago, how we know how to put our emotions aside, just keep on going. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in nursing, that serves us very well because we just need, you know, we, I want to just be blunt, right? Patient dies, you got to body bag them. ER patient's coming in 15 minutes. I'm going to go eat something and continue Absolutely. my day. Yeah. And it, it sounds so blunt, but that's literally how we're going about things where we're forgetting to feel the experience. So then mm-hmm. that affects us in different things like our relationship because maybe, you can't feel your emotion very well with your relationship because you're learning to just push things aside so well and keep on going. Well, oh, you were upset about something. Well, I don't want to sit with that emotion because I want to feel happy again. So we're learning how to like, it's like that whole false positivity thing. Like you can pretend you to be positive for so long, but there's something negative there. Same thing with our emotions, right? If it's just sitting within us, it's like cancer that's forming and that energy that doesn't um, I always say ventilate properly through the body, mm-hmm. just stagnates mm-hmm. and becomes dense. And then mm-hmm. we experience all these physical symptoms and issues and muscle soreness mm-hmm. and all that. But again, we're going deep into the spirituality stuff. Yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like you for, you just, it's almost like the way you deal with it is just by ignoring it or, yeah. just, or just closing it off. Yeah. And that never gets addressed. Yeah. That's literally what you do with nursing. If somebody dies while well, they're dead, you know, everything continues on. And like you mentioned, Jenny, it's like, you're in your early in your in your early adulthood, and you're mm-hmm. just basically starting in, in life, like a 
after you've graduated school, get your first job. You're getting paid well. You're really starting your life. And in one part of your life, you're starting it. And then you go to work and people are, are ending their lives. And it's like, whoa, you're going from this brand new life of that you have to this flip side of people ending their life. And you're just going back and forth like a ping pong. And that's like, it's like revving your engine. You keep revving your engine, going back and forth, going back and forth. And it's just like, you don't know how to probably deal with it. And that just takes like this giant toll and you learn to get clothes off from your feelings because that's just what you easiest thing to do is like for me to work the best and being the most, more successful is just for me to close off from these feelings and just work like a machine. Because if you start to put feelings into this, then things get really complicated, really sticky real quick. Yeah, and, I, yeah, yeah. Now, and we could talk about mentorship and everything you do with, you know, the, the podcast. And it's interesting where we need mentorship with becoming a new grad, passing the resume, getting the best, best resume, nailing the interview. But what about the mentorship with emotional health that we just are talking about right now, where it's like, how do you deal with this emotions? How do you go with having two patients that passed on you today? How can you compartmentalize your emotions very well? So you're not affecting and affecting your other relationship and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what do you think as far as like becoming a new grad in the hospital or an overall in America, how do you think our mentorship or, or preceptorship is in our country? Do you think it needs improvement? Yeah, I 100% do. Um, I think the biggest issue I see with nurses and mentorship, which is why, um, again, I started Nurses Teach Nurses, is the, the sheer fact that usually when nurses are looking for mentorship, there's a couple of things going on. One, they really want their peers. They want fellow peers who are in the trenches with them to help them. But the problem right now, and especially the culture this last few years has really created, that's kind of amplified a culture that already existed, but it's just like taking a fire, pouring gasoline on it, is the fact that they're afraid. They're afraid to reach out. They're afraid to be seen as stupid or not enough or dumb or, you know, these new nurses coming in these really high stress environments, they want so badly to talk to their fellow ICU nurses and say, hey, this is a question I have is that I know it might sound dumb, but they're afraid that's what nurses always phrase it. It might sound dumb. No, no such, no such thing as dumb questions. You just don't feel confident enough to ask because you're afraid of being judged by someone else by a peer. And so I really think I want to impact like the whole point of developing nurse teach nurses is to give nurses an outlet from a peer, meaning the fellow nurses in the ICU, a CV ICU, a MICU, a SICU, whatever ICU, and get that peer to peer mentorship that can really help them with that mental burnout. How did you get through it? I know now, you know, speaking, it's just why I'm qualified to mentor future CRNAs is because I've, I've gone through the trenches. I've been there. Would you want to take, um, would you want your thoracic surgeon to take advice on how to do thoracic surgery from a lawyer? No, <laughs> like you would hope that they would get trained by a fellow really good thoracic surgeon. So similarly, I think nurses need mentors that are equally in the same position that these nurses want to be in, meaning look for a mentor who became a, a family nurse practitioner, look for a mentor who's in women's health or look for a CRNA mentor if you're an ICU nurse. And so I really hope to bring more access to that in, in a way that really supports the community at large, the nursing community. Yeah, that's what I really liked about Nurse Teach Nurses because like you literally have healthcare professionals helping healthcare professionals. You're not going to somebody that has never worked in a hospital and you talk to them about your feelings and they're telling you to do this, telling you to do that. But it's like, you can't really relate to what I'm going through because yeah, you could tell me you've seen that thing, you dealt with death, but it's like in a hospital, I've seen hundreds of people die and, mm -hmm. and you know how that feels 
deals directly. It's not just like, I understand that, you know, your cousin passed away, your grandma passed away. That's a different kind of feeling versus you seeing literally patients die on almost on like a daily basis. And it's like, who better can, can help you and advise you on, on, on emotions or getting a, mm. uh, a promotion or getting a, into CRNA school than somebody that's literally been through the motions that has literally dealt with, with, with those things instead of like somebody from like, I don't know, Jamaica that's on that's on some other website telling Fiverr. you, hey, this, yeah, this is yeah, on Fiverr. This, this is what you have to do because this is what will work for me. Well, it's like, I know it worked for you, but you're in like a whole different environment than, than, than I am. You have different things available to you than, than I do. So it's like, it, there's like, um, it's, it's like a wedge. Like that's like the one, my one issue is it's like people that have never worked in healthcare trying to help healthcare professionals. Is different from like a therapist or whatever, because they're obviously licensed psychologists and all that, all that kind of stuff. That's a little bit different. But if it's just like peer to peer helping, like there's no reason why you shouldn't seek help from somebody that's actually been this environment with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Imagine getting a told like a mindset coach telling you to meditate for ten minutes so then you could better perform in a critical situation. But it's like, dude, the only time I got to meditate is in the med room pulling my meds. I don't have yeah. this kind of time to silence my mind. You know. Mm-hmm. When did you first get inspired to? pursue nurses inspire, or uh, nurses teach nurses and then the whole podcast you have going on when did this uh, inspiration passion start yeah so I've been mentoring nurses now for four years mostly in the pre-anesthesia space so I started Syrian School Prep Academy in February of 2020 and we've mentored over 5,000 ICU nurses since then and really um, I found a great need to have one-on-one services and I was doing those in the beginning and I realized wow there's thousands of you and there's one of me <laughs> this is not realistic and I want to be able to help. And I, I just couldn't. And so I created nurses teach nurses, uh, for that reason. And also because I've been so inspired on the impact of mentorship within the anesthesia community, I can't tell you how amazing it feels to hear a success story followed with, I cannot wait to mentor a fellow nurse who is pursuing CRNA. It like mentorship has this ripple effect that really can shift a culture can shift an environment and a community could say, here, you want a seat at our table? Have a seat. You're welcome here. And that's what it's all about is really empowering nurses say we need support and who better to support nurses and fellow nurses. Like you said, you, you, something about relating to someone who's actually been in the trenches with you, who's under, who understands exactly your emotions to where you don't have to even explain like in school, my husband, I bless his heart. I love him. We've been married for going on 14 years now. Oh my gosh. Anyways, a long time. But that being said, I couldn't talk to him in school about some of the emotions because it felt almost too draining to even talk about it. I didn't talk about it. It felt like more work to talk about it. But my classmates who were who got it, they could finish my sentence. So I'm like, thank you. I don't even have to speak everything. You know exactly what I need, what I want and how I feel. And there's something about that connection with another human being that literally feels exactly the pain that you feel is just a very deep connection that we need and, and we deserve as nurses. And so Nurses Teach Nurses was made out of that passion to give back to our community, to provide nurse to nurse mentorship in all specialties and across all areas of our life, whether that's, you know, I mean, there are some nurses that I've come across who do real estate, who do uh, paralegal work, who do kind of these different things that are maybe not necessarily at bedside, but have found a way to have a really good work-life balance by kind of capturing other skill sets. And I think we need more of that, not just the traditional nurse mentorship, but unique human nurse mentorship that is unique to what someone else is seeking in their life. Um, so that's what I kind of hope to bring forth with the marketplace and a good way for nurses to earn extra income because we deserve it too. And it deserves to stay in nurses pockets. 
Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned before, we're not just nurses. We're, we're nurses, but we also have diff- different things that we want to do. Some nurses like to do real estate. Some nurses like to do other things. So same thing that goes back to, to advice. What better advice can you get than a nurse that's literally been in, in your shoes? Like you mentioned, like the, mm-hmm. the whole work-life balance thing. Like they could just help you with that. And once you figure out a good, good work-life balance, everything mm-hmm. just suddenly starts to just fall in place and things just happen to, to work out. But with uh, CRNA... Uh, CRNA School Prep Academy. What's um, what can they expect uh, if they do decide to hop on with with you for that? Is it do you go? It's like a daily kind of meeting thing. How do you help them through through that? No, that's a great question. So we have grown um, over the years, and so really we look at the at a, as a journey, as a path, starting from like the early planning phase. So even nursing students. We have tools and resources. I think I just counted our, we have like over 130 hours of video on-demand courses. Um, but, but we start from the planning phase is what I call it. And then we kind of progress into, you know, how to pick your school and how to prepare financially into how to prepare your application, how to write your essay, how to update your resume, uh, you know, how to get it connected for a job shadow, all of those things, applying to CRNA school, interviewing for CRNA school. And then we even have a, a nurse anesthesia resident boot camp that we have found students are rusty on chemistry and physics and DMP writing. So we use um, CRNA faculty educators who actually contribute now a lot to the academy and do education and courses. I have really built this to be for the community. I want it for the community. So again, getting faculty involved is a big part of that. Um, they know best. I always say like hear it from the horse's mouth, right? Um, so I want them involved and we've had a really amazing, just they've really taken us with open arms and our national association loves what we're doing. So Really, my vision with this is to find a full comp- a full picture way to support you on your CRNA journey, even before you start your program. Um, so yeah, that's we start to finish. We do um, we have monthly live sessions in our guarantee program where we guarantee your acceptance. We actually have weekly coaching with CRNA faculty, and if you don't get in, we give your money back. Um, so that's a year long program that we do. We just started that, and um, yeah, nurses teach nurses is kind of the the service that we use for mock interviews, resume s edits, um, essay edits, one-on-one transcript audits, consultations, mentor sessions. We even have digital downloads on the site as well. So our, our students, if you're a part of CRNA School Prep Academy, you get a discount on Nurses Teach Nurses and um, being able to get mock interviews shouldn't be a problem anymore. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's awesome where you're able to influence the nurse, the new grad very early on where we're able to shift the mindset of how they think, how they are. And ultimately that's going to affect the culture and the nursing culture. Because I think from anything that we've realized when we've been travel nursing is how important is nursing culture, how are nurses seeing themselves level-headed to management, to other things, to doctors, where if there's a negative culture, we see how it's being affected and drained and how nurses are drained ultimately, where it's affecting their work-life balance, their quality of life, and then the hospital as a whole is, is affected by not being able to retain nurses. Right. Oh, it's huge. And I, I think even with nurse management, oh my gosh, there's so much room for improvement there. Not like we're all capable, but do they ever get support to become a nurse manager? No, not usually. It's like day two of your work. Okay. You're charge nurse. It's like, whoa, can I at least get some, you know, some guidance on this? And so that is a huge area that I hope that by bringing forth other charge nurses, other nurse met like managers, they can mentor nurses who just took on this big role and help them with how do you tackle some of these really hard things? And you know, some, some leadership roles. And I think you said it earlier, but, you know, essentially learning from someone who understands where your pitfalls are is key. Meaning if you want to do real estate as a nurse, what do you need to know? Someone who's been a nurse, 
will know what you need to know and where you're going to lack your knowledge because they were once in your shoes. And so it's really key to kind of find the mentorship from someone who essentially has achieved a benchmark that you also seek to achieve. And being a nurse and being a CRNA, is there anything that you would change about either nursing or the whole CRNA school or just being a CRNA? Anything you would think that would benefit either one of those fields? Oh gosh. I, well, I love being a CRNA. Obviously that's my, my heart and passion right there. Um, along with mentorship, but you know, I think for me, my, my goal with all the it includes CRNA nurses in general is I really think in a big way, while I don't think there's a one size fits all solution, I do think we can change our current doom and gloom outlook. I really do think we can empower nurses to find fulfillment, whether that be at bedside or doing something on the side that while well, maybe not leaving bedside altogether, but finding that work-life balance, as I know so many nurses have already started to do, but it's really about changing the culture of one of support, empowerment. Um, and, and cause I mean, this is a really, you're proud to be a nurse. You should be proud to be a nurse. I think we're earth's angels. I mean, who else is going to take care of the dying? Who else is going to raise their hand and say, yeah, you have a transmittable disease. I will take care of you. <laughs> not too many people will do that. I think we should be respected and encouraged to speak up and speak our mind. And I think the only way we're going to be able to do this. Nurses can come together on a very large scale and create that pride, create the mentorship, the community support, and really create that network that creates transparency in our jobs. And so I know I spoke a little bit about, you know, I have a phase one, phase two, phase three of what I'm going to embark upon, but nurses teach nurses is just the beginning. I, I truly think the solution again is creating kind of a ecosystem for nurses to rise up and, um, you know, I think we are the solution and we always have been the solution. It's just a matter of taking action like we spoke to earlier. Yeah, that's a good point. And just one, one thing is that TikTok that you, you sent, uh, I think it was yesterday or a day ago, it, it's, it said that new nurses always say that they're a nurse and they praise themselves being a nurse, but older nurses, they don't want anybody knowing that they're a nurse. And it's like, why does, why does it shift like that? You know, yeah. it's a crazy concept, but it, was, it made me laugh. I'm like, damn, it's so true because I remember myself being a new guy. I'm like, I'm going to Walgreens, pick up some you know, medication for my grandpa. Oh, it's okay. I'm a nurse. I know, you know, but now it's like, I, I didn't even mention it. You know, I, I'm, I'm right now. I'm a podcaster before I was a nurse. Now, now I do podcasts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, it's been awesome to talk with you guys and I appreciate your time uh, to have me on the show. And Jenny, one last question I'd like to ask all of our guests. So if you had the mm -hmm. opportunity to have a cup of coffee one last time with anybody, who would it be and why? Oh man, I wasn't prepared for that one. Oh my gosh, that's a big one. Oh, well, okay. So I'm, I'm going to probably have to go with, can it be someone who's not even around today? <laughs> okay. My grandma. So she's huge. Yeah. <sighs> she was kind of like that quiet warrior. You know what I mean? Like someone who was kind of like the, she just, she had a way and a presence about her that didn't need to be spoken. And I think she was wiser than she'd ever would admit. And she had a way to connect with people that I think felt very, uh, I guess that's kind of how I strive to be. I, I feel like it, that's kind of what a mentor is, in my opinion. It's kind of like a professional friendship. And I think us as humans, we we should all strive for that in our lives. I think it makes her, it enriches your life. And I, I wish I could go back and pick her brain more. So I would love to have a cup of coffee. And I know I will. I will meet her for a cup of coffee someday. Um, but yeah, that's who I would pick is my own grandmother. That's Amazing. awesome. And Jenny, when can people find you if they want to reach out to you or ask any kind of questions or even get some mentorship or some support? 
Yeah, no, I, I would love to connect with you. Um, I have several places now, um, but you can find me on Instagram at Sierra's Corporate Academy. I'm also over on Instagram at Nurses Teach Nurses. Um, Sierra's Corporate Academy is just SierraNaysCorporateAcademy.com. Um, I have a podcast, a Sierra's Corporate Academy podcast. Um, so yeah, tune in if you're a future CRNA. If you are looking for nurse mentorship, I'm here to help with that as well. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. Jenny, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your time for being here and the wealth of knowledge that you are for CRNAs, for nurses, for anybody that's inspiring to be a CNR slash nurse and the wealth of resource that you're creating for mentorship and building a better community to ultimately empower nurses and create real change in United States, the United States and maybe worldwide. So thank you for what you yes, do. Hopefully. Thank you so much, Peter, Matt. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Jenny.